Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAOutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v331 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is Vortex Wear. Go ahead and check it out, and if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit Carbon 2, and their Radian Carbon, and it also has a ball leveling head, and it's perfect for rock solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Check, baby, check, baby. One, two, three, four. What's up? 
Dan the Fitness Man here. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast, part three of our three-part series on the privatization of elk hunting. So we're going to pivot over to the state of Montana. And it's super important to me that we cover this last episode of this series in a way that continues to shine light from different perspectives. And I want to like just say this right now. I handpicked these three guests because I wanted them to have, obviously they have agendas, right? But I wanted them to be almost like payment-free agendas where how, what I mean is I basically got a BHA chair. This is a volunteer position. The guy has a regular job. His name's John. I'll have him introduce himself on the podcast. Next up is uh, Marcus. He works for a federation, probably pennies on the dollar. He's not chasing money. He is passionately pursuing wildlife and he works for an org, O-R-G, so nonprofit. I uh, wanted to hear his perspective. And then we're bringing Andy on, and Andy's going to introduce himself as well. And he's not a part of any of these things. Uh, he's just a very informed individual. And so I wanted to bring them on today and talk about how Montana has been leaning towards a model similar to that of New Mexico, where landowners get elk tags because they own land and elk come on their property from time to time or live on their property year round where there are set asides where elk tags are allocated for those that want to hire an outfitter and they take those tags away from the pool of general elk hunters maybe coming from out of state or they live in montana and they don't want to hire an outfitter those tags get basically you lose out on a percentage of tags and so the government or the yeah we'll call it the government the entity basically does set asides in my opinion it is a welfare program for outfitters so we are going to discuss these things today on this final part i'm very excited to bring this to you guys i try to stay more um neutral and ask hard questions but these guys have fantastic answers and i think you're going to enjoy this without further ado i got a squad of awesome montana guys talking about Montana elk hunting and tag allocation and new proposals for 2022 and 23. Let's go. We're live, gentlemen. Folks listening, we literally didn't get a chance to even talk, do our small talk before the podcast. We're going to skip that and get right into it. Um, Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast, where we talk about elk hunting quite a bit, fitness, faith, family, things like that. But today we're going, we're going to stray a little way, but... um, we're going to revisit this idea of privatization of elk hunting, and I got a squad on here, everybody with different backgrounds, so I'm going to have everybody kind of introduce themselves, and then we're going to get into it right away. We're not messing around. Marcus, um, what's your last name? Is it? It's strange. I thought so. I wanted you to say that. Um, Marcus, introduce yourself, please. Sounds good. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Marcus Strange. I do state policy and government relations work for the Montana Wildlife Federation. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Federation, uh, we're uh, Montana's, uh, one of our oldest conservation organizations. We were founded in 1936 when uh, public land hunters and anglers came together with landowners to find a better way forward on wildlife management. And we've been rocking and rolling ever since. Um, yeah, we, we support public access, quality habitat, and uh, wild, wild wildlife. <laughs> Got to find a better way to say that one. Um, in my free time, I like to bow hunt. Um, I picked up traditional archery 
in the last couple of years and uh, like walking around in the woods feeling disappointed. Um, so uh, that's me in a nutshell. And Dan and I were connecting over CrossFit. I like to beat myself up in the gym in my free time as well. Awesome. We're pumped to learn more from you, Marcus. Uh, let's talk to John. Howdy, folks. Uh, my name is John Sullivan. I am the chairman of the Montana chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, our chapter has been around since about 2010, um, started by some kind of Montana's old guard conservation guys, uh, Greg Munther, um, you know, pretty well-known traditional bow hunter in the state, kind of a conservation hero to many of us. <clears throat> I started volunteering for the chapter in 2014, and then kind of shortly after that, um, became was nominated to be the chair of the chapter, and I've been in that position since. Um, the backcountry hunters and anglers try to be the voice for your, uh, the sportsman's voice for your wild public lands and waters, and we typically our buckets are access, uh, habitat, and opportunity. So we want to make sure we're preserving access or expanding public access uh, and preserving that access to quality habitat and then preserving the opportunities or hunting and fishing opportunities within on those spaces. So that's kind of the, the quick and dirty of BHA. Um, personally, I'm, I'm like Marcus. I've been a bow hunter for tw over 20 years, been a traditional bow hunter. Um, so I end up taking my bow on a lot of walks, a lot of lonely walks home, but that's all right. It's part of the fun is uh, that challenge of uh, uh, archery in general. And then that next level of traditional archery. Um, there's a lot of elk that we could have killed this year if we'd had uh, a bow that would shoot a little further than 30 yards, you know, but that's, that's the fun of it. It's, it's a good, it's a good time. And it's a great place to be in Montana right now. All right. Last but not least, we have Andrew. Hi, uh, my name is Andrew Posowitz. I'm a proud fourth generation Montanan. Um, I fancy myself an advocate for public lands, public places and, and wild things. Um, I sort of tend to spend a lot of my time and energy on the history of hunting, uh, particularly as it relates to hunting in the United States, uh, as well as North American model for wildlife recovery and doing everything I can to make sure that future generations have it good, if not better than we have it today. Wow, we got a star-studded lineup here. Uh, I'm going to play neutral on this whole deal as much as I can, but I doubt I'll be able to. I'm pretty passionate elk hunter myself. <clears throat> I am a self-proclaimed voice for the public land blue-collar elk hunter, but I'll be the first to admit right now and just squash everyone's dreams. I would hunt private property too. Like I got nothing against private property elk hunting. I'm all about opportunity for elk hunting in general, I don't have anything against landowner tags. Hell, I bought one this year in New Mexico, and I got nothing against outfitters, guides, private land, pay-to-play, like all that kind of stuff. I got no issues with it. However, I think we're all coming together today to discuss what is best for elk and elk hunting's continuity. So let's start with you, Marcus. What is the most pressing issue in Montana right now from your lens as it pertains to elk hunting? It's a great question, Dan. Um, I want to back up real quick and just lay a little bit of foundation here. We're, we're definitely not here to, to bash on um, ranchers, farmers, private interests. There's a place for everybody at the table. Um, you know, I 
I hunt a combination of public land and private land. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, I spent an entire day laying sod for a, a rancher in exchange for uh, the opportunity to go hunt his place. And, and so I, I come to this as well, trying to be pretty balanced and acknowledge that, um, you know, we're all Montanans. These are our friends and neighbors that we're trying to sort through these issues on. And, and we want to find the best way forward for everybody. So um, I appreciate, you know, your take on that. And, and that's kind of the lens that I approach all of this through. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues. I think one of the biggest issues from my perspective is we have an elk management plan that is severely, severely out of date. And we, um, as an organization, our partner organizations at BHA Montana, you know, sportsmen all across the state have been begging and pleading for a new elk management plan so that we have a path forward on a lot of these divisive contentious issues. So I think um, there's, there's a lot of things you could point to. From my perspective, that's one of the biggest ones is we just don't have an updated game plan for how we deal with a lot of the issues that are uh, confronting us today. Okay, fair enough. Andrew, similar question, like what is, what is the most pressing in your mind right now as it pertains to the elk continuity in Montana? Yeah, I'm not sure if it would be responsive to the to the sort of the question of continuity, but the thing that concerns me the most about um, what's happening in general uh, in Montana is the what I'll consider to be the continued attempts to privatize the actual game and to um, preclude the 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 outcome of those efforts is to preclude the common person from being able to hunt in America and in Montana in particular, and that. If you don't make policies that are consistent with our history, with our heritage and our philosophy, you're going to end up with Montana being like some of the other states where you have almost no public hunting at all, including places like Texas, for example. Ooh, that's a, that's a pretty big problem for me as well. Uh, John. Yeah. Um, you know, I take the same path as uh, Marcus and Andy, uh, you know, BHA in the state, like I said, we focus on these buckets of habitat access and opportunity. And that really is for your average guy. Um, we're fighting for them. Uh, they make up the, the large bulk of our membership and they make up the bulk of the people who stay engaged in the state. So we're out there working every day to uh, kind of preserve the Montana traditions that we have all um, enjoyed for so many years, which is that the wildlife are owned by all the public, which is granted to us in our state constitution. And that you shouldn't have to have a large bank account or thousands of acres of land to be able to buy an elk tag and have a reasonable opportunity to harvest an elk. And so we're trying to preserve that tradition. Um, knowing that stuff, at the same time, we, we recognize that a lot of wildlife is on private property. And so we work with uh, private landowners all the time. We organize uh, fence poles and all kinds of stuff that our members show up to to help and kind of give back. Um, we celebrate the uh, block management program and advocated strongly this last legislative session to increase the payments to landowners for allowing access onto their property. And so there's a number of ways that we try to give back uh, to the landowners, to private property, uh, to encourage them to allow access and compensate them for that, for that opportunity. Uh, but at the same time, we kind of draw a line and hold strong that the elk are owned by everybody and need to be treated that way and, and not just be accessible to the, the wealthiest among us. All right, guys, well, let's get into it. So 
I don't care who takes it from here first. You guys can bounce around. Uh, I'm just going to ask the question. Montana Fishing Game, or whatever you want to call their entity, they are proposing some changes. Let's get everyone educated on what they are proposing, the good, the bad, the ugly. All right. Yeah. So currently what we're going through is a season setting process for 2022-2023. And the department uh, is proposing what they're calling regulation simplification. And what that means when you dig into it is basically uh, Montana has uh, hunting districts that range in size from, you know, pretty small to very large, you know, multiple counties um, included. So uh, the department is communicating to the public that there's a need for simplification. And so they're going to uh, take districts and combine districts and create larger hunting districts that incorporate um, decades of development into um, these smaller districts and, and make these bigger districts in what they're calling an effort to uh, make them easier to understand. Did I, did I sum that up pretty well, guys? Yeah, I think that that's, that's very true. It's definitely one of the big, the biggest changes that we're going to see that's kind of on the horizon right now. Um, I, I, I'm just going to be honest here. I have a hard time understanding if it's going to be good or bad for the state. There's definitely some areas. I'm all for simplification, making, making it easier for people to understand how to get an elk tag how to get a deer tag, where they can use it. That's all good stuff. Um, some of the changes being proposed uh, appear to push back on uh, the biological reason for certain districts to exist um, and where they put the uh, responsibility of the local biologists to really have to argue why they should keep things the same rather than, than the opposite was basically, we're going to make these changes and you better defend your, the reasons you want to keep them the way that they are. Uh, you know, that, that can be good or bad. It's just, a, it's a huge sweeping proposal across the entire state. It's really a, a giant thing to try to understand all of it. Um, and from, from BHA's perspective, uh, we, you know, we got to be really careful in how we approach these things. Cause in one district, we might limit one guy's opportunity because he was a, he's a resident has been hunting the same under the same tag and district for 20 years but they may open it up for opportunities for more people from out of that district to come in um and then you know we, we got we got to look at this in a perspective of how, does it help the majority of people and and that's hard when you're talking these like you know district-wide changes yeah but so, so we're watching that really carefully Yo, go ahead marcus one interesting thing because i've been digging through these over the last uh, month is a large majority of them when you read what they're proposing, there's an addendum on each one that says will likely lead to a loss of opportunity. And, and I don't have the exact percentage off the top of my head, but many of them noted that the local uh, hunters uh, oppose the proposed change. And so what we're seeing is not only the department saying we're going to lose opportunity for people, we also see the local hunters pushing back because they know they're going to lose opportunity. Um, Kind of this overarching comment that I, I made in our written comments with this is the department saying that this is all done to help people have an easier time understanding the regulations. And my comment is, if it's a communication problem, let's learn how to communicate the regulations better. If it's an actual biological need, that's a completely different discussion. But that's not what's being sold to Montanans. Um, my one of my uh, volunteers here 
he, he uh, says, with complexity comes opportunity. And basically what he means by that is with the districts that we have now, you can spread the hunting pressure out more evenly across the landscape. And if we combine into these larger districts, um, you're going to concentrate the hunting pressure. You're not going to distribute it better. So not only are you going to disrupt the, you know, the biological uh, nature of these hunting districts, you're also going to uh, disrupt the human component of it as well. And that's going to create, as John was pointing out, we don't know what that what that's going to look like, but what we've been doing is working pretty well and, and people are concerned about the change. That's a, that's a good point, Marcus. And I agree with you there that like, are we, you know, are we creating a larger problem than what we have? Like what, what is this, what is the problem that we're solving by simplifying the regs? They're not, they're not that complicated. Like they're, they're pretty spend a little time and you can figure them out in Montana. They're not that bad. And so is it really, is it really in the name of solving that problem or is there something else? I don't know. I think it's so I think my, we have time. We'll tell a little bit after it's passed. But my, my heartburn about this is I think, Dan, I'd like to take your readers back in time a little bit. And I think you have to, I think what's lost on particularly this generation of hunters is this idea that what we have in Montana is because it got missed as the West got developed, that somehow Montana just wasn't populated enough. And as a result of that, we still have these incredible animal herds that are huntable species for people to come access. Uh, that couldn't be further from the truth, right? In the late 1800s, the same fate that befell the buffalo befell every piece of wild game in Montana. The elk, the deer, the moose, bear, wolf, everything was wiped off of this landscape, right? And as a practical matter, I talk about 17, or in 1876, 80,000 hides went down the Missouri River out of Montana. By 1884, that number was zero because there was nothing left. And that all that is here has been rebuilt. And it has been rebuilt by hunters and it has been paid for by taxpayers. And it has been rebuilt under a set of principles that are now being abandoned by the department as they begin to administer these policies. And everybody who has ever shouldered a rifle should be livid about this. Well, let's get let's dig in, gentlemen. Like, are you saying these proposals are obviously like okay, consolidating your 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 districts, whatever? Like, I understand we can get into that more, but <clears throat> kind of sounds good from afar. Not gonna lie, but maybe it's not that good once you start talking about loss of opportunity, and then you start talking about neglecting um, the North American model of wildlife, which is based upon science and biology. So, next question: Are we talking about choosing a weapon or are we talking about losing seasons because i live in washington i'm not a montana guy wish i was wish i was but i'm not and so i have a 12 freaking day archery season for elk that i have to choose a weapon in this state like think about that i have to decipher between a bow a muzzy and a gun i gotta pick and then let's say i pick bow hunting 12 days to hunt elk compared to your 45-day archery season, you want to talk about distribution? Montana gets it. When you have a six-week archery season, you spread these suckers out. There's not a bunch of guys on the weekends or just the one week. You got everybody hunting at different times, getting a better experience, and taking less pressure off the elk. So what other changes are they talking about? Just let's cover the changes proposed first, then let's dig in. 
okay, not to get too detailed into the archery season, but I think one of the reasons that Montana has been able to preserve that is, is a, as a resistance to change, resistance to allowing new technologies and pressure from outside coming in. So I remember the fight over lighted knocks that was like fought over like multiple legislative sessions and like the bow hunters pushed back and nobody wanted it. And finally they gave in on it. And like, just to give you like, this is a small, what a small piece of technology a lighted knock is right. But the Montana bow hunters, uh, the groups that they kind of coalesce around have pushed back on that technology, which uh, I think keeps our seasons longer. Um, it makes it harder for people to enter into the seasons. You have to commit a little bit more to it, that kind of thing. But I've come getting off the topic of your question, right? So one of the other changes being proposed by, um, I don't even say it's being proposed. It's, it, it, it comes from our legislature. There um, was a big hoopla a few weeks ago about these tags that were given to some wealthy out-of-state landowners. Um, that's the uh, 454, was it House Bill 454, I believe, or, or Senate Bill? I can't remember which one. It was, a, it was a legislation that had existed before that got modified. And basically the principle was that if you as a landowner allow people to hunt your property, then you can get um, reimbursed or uh, you know, with, with a elk tag, right? So if you allow four hunters to hunt your property, you can get a, a either sex elk tag in your area. And so it was a transactional thing that kind of encouraged and incentivized uh, access onto your property. And then in the last minutes of our legislative session in this big omnibus bill, the 637 that has all kinds of garbage in it, they lowered the number of hunters that are required to, for that private landowner to allow or to get a, a bull elk tag or either sex elk tag, right? And so when before it might've been, if I, I hope I'm remembering this right. And Marcus, maybe you can correct me. Was it six, six hunters? And then they could get one either sex elk tag. Yeah. I, so I don't remember what the, the exact number was before, but we were making deals on these agreements where you would give a landowner two elk licenses and you'd get 200 hunters onto their place. Like it was, it was an awesome program where we were working with landowners to get access to elk. Um, now it's capped, at, or the, the limit is three for one. Three for one now, yeah, they've lowered it. Well, and like you said, yeah. so before the, the commission and FWP was negotiating these programs to try to make it even, right? And so, and that's a hard thing to do in elk hunting because is, is an either sex elk tag for you landowner the same as, um, an either sex elk tag for me, if you only give me one day to try to fill my tag on your property. And so you'd come up with these big agreements where, okay, landowner, we're going to give you one either sex elk tag and you're going to allow, um, well, let's just talk about what did exist. So on this particular out-of-state billionaire's property in 2019, they had a program that allowed 300 people to come on the property and, and harvest cow elk. And the landowners got two either sex elk tags. That was a great negotiation by our fish, wildlife, and parks. The newest proposal that just got approved is the landowner got eight either sex elk tags. This is in a draw district. They get to pick eight people who already drew those either sex elk tags. And then they're allowing 16 hunters to come on for five days to try to kill cows. Montana hunters, the regular hunting public doesn't think that's a fair trade. 
And so RFW is meeting the bare minimum required in the law where before they. Are these landowners that you're talking about primarily living in Montana or they don't live in Montana and just own lots of land? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they're not full-time residents here. I can't tell you the truth about it, but they, they're one of Montana's largest landowners. So, and I think, I think one of the things that can really be easily missed if you try to parse this out into these sort of individual policy decisions. Now, for the record, I completely agree with what John and Marcus have said about this is like wildly inappropriate. And not only is it inappropriate on its face, but it's inappropriate in its reasoning why. And it goes back to this basic thing that says, you know, you can dig into all this stuff and you can write these little one little things here and there. And they may seem like it's not that bad, but I would go to the fundamental question, right, which is one of the tenets of the North American model is that science is the basis for wildlife management. There is zero science involved in this decision. This is a giveaway from one out-of-state billionaire to another out-of-state billionaire that's being paid for by the citizens of Montana. It's offensive and why they're doing it is inexplicable. And they will tell you to their face that you're, they're not interested in public comment. Junk. Yeah, they're they're trying to sell a lot of these changes uh, based on the 2005 elk management plan that Marcus uh, identified early as being out of date. In that 2005 elk management plan, I mean, God, you, Montana has changed so much since 2005, right? So they're they're using this outdated plan. It's based on some biological numbers. It's also based on landowner tolerance. And so there's a socio, socioeconomic piece of that that Annie references that is just completely out of, out of touch with any scientific management. Then the legislature in their grand wisdom passed a law that were required FWP to meet the objectives. And so according to our current numbers, we're like 30% overpopulation for our elk in our state. I don't know one public landowner and public land hunter who walks out there and thinks we have too many freaking elk running around, right? It's, it's all based on this socioeconomic um, tolerance for elk where they tolerate them during the hunting season and tolerate them, uh, you know, when they can sell tags or let their buddies hunt. But the moment the season's over, they want support from the public or payments from the public to take care of their property. And the, the thing that's really offensive about that is that we have programs in place that have been around for many, many years that worked really, really well and in an equitable way to encourage landowners to allow people to come on their property, manage the elk herds, um, and do it in such a fashion that anybody had a reasonable opportunity to be, to be one of the people picked to hunt. So it didn't monetize or privatize our publicly owned resource. And that's, that's the thing that you know, it, it, it makes me furious about it that we continue to slide down this path when we can see that the same thing has happened in other states and how difficult it is to reverse that trend once it's established. I was just going to say, to your point at the beginning, by the way, which I meant to comment on, um, you know, everyone I know believes in the absolute sanctity of private property rights. I hunt private land as well, just as an FYI, I hunt both, um, some of which is family land. Uh, I have all the sympathy in the world for the challenges that this can actually create. And my point would be Montana is, is John alluded to just, and I want to be really direct about this. Montana has a number of programs designed to allow and accommodate that. This is not some new problem. This is a problem that has existed for 30 years. The systems are all in place to deal with it and to compensate the landowner appropriately for it. What's changed 
is the nature of the out-of-state ownership and the seeking to monetize it directly. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, good. Okay, gentlemen, I get it. So what about question is, are us non-residents, because I am representing the all of us that try to put in for your state, <clears throat> which we all know is a great state and it should be on your list and it's just amazing, obviously, but uh, are they considering taking tags from little DIYers like myself uh, and getting those over to outfitters? Is that something that I read or misread? Can you please tell me? Andy. Oh, I will tell you this. This is the story of this and it is uncomplicated. And the answer to your question is yes. They are trying to take tags from do-it-yourself hunters and give, guarantee it to outfitters. So guaranteed for those people who can afford to pay more. In 2010, Montana passed a citizen's initiative prohibiting outfitter guaranteed set-aside tags. And again, I want to be crystal clear. I have zero objection to outfitters. I have zero objection to guides. I've used them in the past. They serve an incredibly valuable purpose, and, but it should be my choice to use them. The government should not require me to use a guide, which is the state of Montana now requires you to use a guide if you want access to certain tags. So this bill got introduced into the legislature and it was met with overwhelming objection. And the stated purpose for this need for outfitter guarantee tags was to provide certainty to a certain business sector. The bill then got amended to move the drawing further forward so that guides could have certainty and their clients would know who did and didn't get a tag. The bill died because it didn't solve the actual problem, which is they wanted guaranteed tags. And on the second to last day of the legislature, with no public comment at 7.30 in the morning, they shoved in outfitter guaranteed tags into the Montana legislature and the governor signed it. Damn it. Um, so- well, no, it's a, But it's a one-time, supposedly. Okay. Well, it will be back. Whenever you monetize it, it's really hard to get rid of it. I know. I know. Follow the money. Okay. We've talked about this. This is the third part series, guys, of my privatization of elk hunting. So I've already said this. You guys haven't heard it yet on the other episodes. But I don't need the government to tell you in, like that you got to hire me to be your personal trainer. Like, like I'm a freaking good trainer, coach. I don't need your help, big government. I can hustle and solicit word of mouth if i'm good people will hire me and i'll get them a great experience now if i'm a whatever let's just say i i do concrete full-time i got a crew but i'm also an outfitter in september because i got a couple of horses and now i'm going to be guaranteed some tags and guaranteed some business what if i'm a shitty outfitter who doesn't even show up takes you to public land, doesn't even get you on out. Like I read about them all the time. Like, so I'm not here for welfare for outfitters that suck. And I think most of the private landowners might lean a little the way I do, which is conservative, which is less government. And um, I don't see why they would be so stoked to have the government handouts, especially on a public resource. So where are we going to go from here on this deal? Like, is it going to come back next year and with a fury? And what are the outfitters saying? Who's the schmuck on Randy Newberg's uh, podcast saying that clients coming to Montana spend more money than me? Right. I'm assuming that was Mac Menard. Come at me, Mac Menard. I, look me up. I'm serious. Like that was... I want to argue with that guy. So talk to me about that. Hey, Dan, if you get him booked, I would happily come back onto the show. <laughs> Roger that. Yeah. 
no, I mean, he was full of shit, right? That yeah. There's no, there's no world in which the DIY hunter comes to Montana for two weeks, spends his money at a hotel room, spends his money at a local gas station, spends his money at a local restaurant, uh, distributes that wealth throughout a community. And ha- th- there's no world in which that, that same individual comes and hires an outfitter and gives all his money to one guy. That, that, that's better for the local economy. Well, the worst part about that is the the government is literally dictating where you spend your money, right? You're dictating that I spend my money with that outfitter, that I can't spend it on a hotel. I can't spend it on a restaurant. I can't spend it in a VRBO. I can't spend it at the local sporting goods stop. I don't have a choice. And those businesses are every bit as valid as the guiding business, which is a valid business. All about it, right? To your point, Dan. Yeah, if I'm great, I'll get the work. I promise. Um, but now you're telling the restaurants, they don't even get a chance to compete. The hotels don't even get a chance to compete. Local sporting goods stores don't even get a chance to compete. I'll just weigh in here as, as someone who a few years ago drew a pretty coveted over the, or limited draw tag down in Utah. When I showed up there and quickly realized that the elk were mostly on private property and person after person that I met was telling me, oh, you need to hire an outfitter. Oh, you need to hire an outfitter. I choose to work in conservation. I can't hire an outfitter. I'm a DIY hunter. I, you know, I, I hoard my, my time off. I scrape together enough money to be able to go hunt. And it was a real stark awakening that this is the path that we're headed down in Montana, where, you know, people like me are going to be in a hard way to be able to hunt over the counter and have these incredible experiences that we all want to have. And that just, that, that feels wrong. We want people to be able to have the same experiences that their parents and grandparents had. And if we're not careful, we're gonna lose that. It's happened in other places and we're laying the foundation for it to happen here. And we're gonna interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the US and they're veteran known and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready to drinks, or check out that new flying elk roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kafaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kafaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously, I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there, as well as the most resilient bulletproof not going to crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly i rock the mule Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Okay, so Andrew, you're pretty fired up as I am. What would you like to see 
going forward like, what do you, okay, so you don't like their ideas. Well, what are your ideas? How do we make it so we all can sit at the table, as Marcus said, and compromise and slash stay united, not divided? When you say, I mean, I, I guess I would sort of say, for me, again, just drives back into this history of this this very simple notion that says um, that if you use the same guiding principles, so these guiding principles took us from a barren land, right, a land with nothing on it, and it brought us to this place where we're now sort of fighting over it. Um, I think making sure we're keeping that in perspective is really, really important. And I think you also have to recognize that as long as you're staying true to those principles, that your policy solutions will come from a wise place and they will end in a wise place. And I think you should be very concerned about anybody who is sort of usurping the underlying assumptions in there. And one of those critical underlying assumptions is that you not privatize this, that this is something that belongs to the public trust and that opportunity to hunt it should not be based on birthright or wallet size. And so any policy that starts to turn into that, you should be afraid of, no matter what kind of lipstick they put on the pig. Okay, and I got a shout out to the Wilkes brothers, because y'all know who I'm talking about. They're billionaires. I don't know if they inherited their money, but they've done something to earn it or manage their wealth to where it's grown. They're smart enough to monetize what they have without handing over public property <clears throat> elk tags. You know what I mean? Like they can monetize their expansive elk country through trespass fees or whatever they want to do. They're smart. They can monetize it. And if, they, if money's really what they're chasing, they can find other ways to monetize besides just having an elk tag or eight of them bull elk tags in a draw unit. So not to go into the weeds, but I just want to say for the record, landowners, you know how to monetize. You, We understand you have property taxes to pay. There are ways to do it without doing it. Elk tax, at least in my personal opinion. Um, Marcus, I wanted you to suggest how we as listeners of this podcast should, like how can we get involved? How can we take some action on some of these issues? And how can we learn more so we can kind of carefully come up with our own opinion? Hey, Marcus, before you do that, Dan, I want to jump back to your point because you're exactly right. And I would tell you they already have monetized it. They lease it to outfitters and they can lease it for more because they don't allow public access, which is entirely their right, which I support wholly and in every conceivable way. Right. But what I don't support then is that you're intentionally growing the herd because you can maximize your lease fees and you can improve the opportunities for those people who got who come in on the guided hunts. You just can't come in after the fact and ask me for free tags to control the population. That's my objection. So, sorry, back to Marcus. Oh, and by the way, Andy, I'd love to hear the argument against that counterpoint you just said because I don't think there is one, but I would love to try to and again, I said this on my other podcast. If you're if you're a wealthy landowner, let's just take the word wealthy out. Let's just say you're a landowner and you don't like what we're talking about, come on this podcast. I won't I won't be mean. I will just, I'll hear you out because I'm all about hearing everyone's side because I want to meet at the table. So Mr. Strange, how's that going to happen? How's that going to go down? How are we going to come together? Yeah, great question. So I think you've got, there's a couple things you can do. I think one thing is you got to take uh, your advice and listen to both sides. You got to, you got to have these conversations. You got to 
talk to people that maybe you disagree with. Um, and th that's the education part, right? Um, frequently, we just get in these silos and we only want to, you know, talk to people in our own camp because it feels good. But this is a complex issue and we need to uh, do a little bit of research. I know that's hard. We're all busy. We all got lives. We got kids that got soccer games and, you know, our boss is breathing down our neck to get X, Y, and Z done. But, you know, if you take 20, 30 minutes, read the North American model, um, you know, research the public trust doctrine. Uh, go talk to a local landowner and ask them what challenges they're facing. Like this is this is not a partisan issue. So you got to talk to both sides. Um, the other part of getting educated is uh, become a member of BHA Montana, become a member of the Montana Wildlife Federation, become a member of your local rod and gun club. Um, our organizations and the organizations that we support and partner with and represent have a wealth of knowledge on these issues. They, they can tell you, um, you know, there's, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no other Andrew Posowitz, but there are folks with uh, a lot of knowledge um, who, uh, who can tell you the history just like he has today in these organizations. Um, so I would highly recommend becoming a part of your local route and gun club. Um, and, you know, obviously follow us on social media, um, BHA Montana, Montana Wildlife Federation. We're always putting out a lot of information. Um, and guys, maybe this is a great time to segue into the, the Citizens Coalition that we're pulling together. Um, you know, you want to know how people can get involved. Um, we, are, we are rallying the troops to uh, find solutions and to fight back against uh, partisan uh, solutions to these problems. And we're going to, we're going to find a way to bring everybody to the table and work out a solution that is best for, for everyone, for the everyday Montanan, as well as the rancher and, uh, the, you know, person down the street, whoever it is, you know, we want to bring everybody to the table. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The two, the two groups are forming a kind of an alliance an agreement and trying to get all the other an or an organized effort with Montana BHA MWF all the rotten gun clubs all the other groups that that really represent the regular average Montana DIY hunter get them to the table let's come up with solutions to this to this issue and we'll drive those solutions forward and become a, a unified voice to reckon with on elk management in Montana um, and that's it's kind of taken something that had already existed and Marcus you sat on that citizens working group I think it'd be a really good time to kind of talk about how, again, these, these issues have, we've already been down this road before, and it's just, oftentimes it's a change in administration or a change in leadership that solutions get left behind and new things get put in, put in place. And so maybe yeah. speak on that citizens working group. And that's a great example of an actual government organized, but effective uh, way to find solutions. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So I sat on what they were calling the elk management citizens working group. And this was put together prior to the change in administration. And the only reason I say that is just to kind of give you an idea of the time frame here. So uh, this group was comprised of DIY hunters, outfitters, timber, um, extractive industries, uh, ranchers, farmers, um, you know, every, everybody was represented in this working group. It was brought together by the old director of Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks. Uh, we spent uh, about a month working and bringing all the solutions to the table, kind of sifting through what would work, what didn't. And we came up with a proposal that everybody supported. 
It was guiding principles, sideboards to help us move forward on elk management. And the, the disappointing thing is we put all this work into this and it's just kind of uh, fizzled off and there's not, they're not doing anything with it. All the work that we put into is just kind of sitting there. So we said, well, shoot, we did this before, we can do it again. We can empower um, our neighbors, our friends, people who care about this to come together again, put together some solutions. And uh, instead of letting the government tell us, you know, how to manage elk, we're going to bring uh, proactive solutions to the government and say, this is how we want you to manage elk moving forward. So Dan, something your listeners may not actually be aware of, um, and just as an FYI, I spent about 20 plus years living in Washington state. I was born in Montana and then moved back. Um, <laughs> but one of the unique things about Montana is Montana's legislature meets for 90 days every two years. That's it. These are people who have regular jobs. They, have, they work full-time gigs in their communities. And as a result of that, they may not have as much time to get in tune with some of the stuff they're being asked to deal with in a very short window of time. And to the point that I think we've kind of danced around, but we haven't necessarily hit in the nose, I'll, I'll hit it straight in the nose, which is this, these proposals are being driven by an extreme group within Montana. This is not something that sits in the middle. This is not something that the overwhelming majority of people are in support, right? All you got to do is go look at Colorado College Poll of the West to figure out where Montanans land on these issues. It's unfortunate that the policies coming out of Helena now do not reflect those values at all. And unfortunately, I would tell you that, and again, this isn't through fault of their own, um, these are people who've got full-time jobs. And so they're doing the best that they can to sort through a ton of information really, really quickly. And try as we might, it's hard to get on their radar. And so what they're what what John and Marcus are talking about is we've got to find a way to get back onto people's radar and let them know that this is happening because the overwhelming majority of them don't. And it doesn't matter what party you're in. When I have these conversations with people, when I tell them that we that they slid in outfitter guaranteed tags over the top of a citizen's initiative prohibiting it, they're livid. It doesn't matter if Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter it, unless you sit in this really little extreme pocket of politics, unfortunately. And it's a well-funded pocket, which is why it gets the traction that it does. That's a, a really good point, Andrew. And I'll just add on one thing. So when we talk about uh, the legislature, one of the other things that spurred on this idea of bringing the citizens of Montana together to find this better path forward was a senator from Southwest Montana who is a great conservationist. He cares about these issues. He said to, to one of us, you, you guys need to bring us solutions. We, we need something we can work with. You know, we, we want to fight for you, but we need help. And so we're giving them the help they're asking for. So this, this also, you know, when we talk about this, it, it is being driven by the citizens of Montana, but the legislature asked for this. They, they want solutions. So we're bringing them solutions. Can you guys go into maybe some of the solutions that you would have in mind for some of these just troubling proposals? So far, we've been in the, in the kind of the defensive position, right? We, the legislature kicked in and you had all like just a smattering of bills, not, not just elk stuff, just hunting in general, conservation easements, all kinds of stuff that were kind of uh, chipping away at this Montana lifestyle that we all love. And um, in terms of the elk management stuff, you know, like I said, we're playing defense and just saying, we don't like, we don't want that no to that or whatever. 
we're now in this process of collaboration, organization, and going to start bringing back some proposals. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, this is probably the first time we've actually talked about it publicly. It actually will be on your podcast that, that we're doing this thing. It really just was an agreement that was formed earlier earlier in the week. Um, I, I would start with analyzing the programs that currently exist and making sure that the public knows about these programs. It's easy to be sold something if you don't know another program already exists, right? If you, if you are under the, if you buy into the perk argument that elk are eating the billionaire Wilkes brothers out of house and home, and they need to be subsidized by the citizens of Montana, but you don't already know that there's an incentive program that would allow public access that would allow um, citizens to go on there in a equitable way via draw through the damage hunt program. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that could, that already exist. And so I think that uh, the first thing that I would say is like education we got to get the majority of Montana hunters to know what programs exist so that they can then be armed with the tools to make better decisions on elk management moving forward. I think a, a, a second way to think about that is to look at um, reinforcing what John said, which is like, um, you know, the block management fees are, I think, inadequate for um, what, what those landowners are providing. And, you know, if you take a look at the outfitter guarantee bill, I did some back of the napkin math at the time. And I can't remember the exact number, but basically the math worked out this way, which is that bill, which went without public comment, came in the second to last day of the legislature. If everyone, if all the outfitters availed themselves of it, it would be about $15 million in revenue guaranteed to those outfitters who got the guaranteed tax. The adjustments to block management was totaled $70,000. And so you know, that's a place where you can use policy to drive the behavior that you want. And if you were going to manage consistently with the North American model and the history of this country, to be honest with you, you would reward those people who were participating in the process that led to this abundance instead of rewarding the people who would seek to undermine it. And, and Dan, to, to that, that question that you asked, you know, what are we bringing? It's, we're still so early in this process that I wouldn't want to um, share some of the ideas that have been kicked around just because we haven't all agreed on them yet. But this is an opportunity for people to give us their ideas. So reach out to myself, reach out to John. If you have an idea for how we can better manage um, elk and elk hunting opportunities, we want to hear about it. Um, we're looking at we're looking at everything from, you know, how do we better compensate, like Andrew said, the, the block management enrollees to are there some regulations on the books that aren't functioning well and creating bigger problems? You know, how do we how do we better empower the biologists to do their jobs um, and not be micromanaged um, by politicians, as was pointed out, who come together 90 days every two years? Um, so if you have ideas for how we can address some of these problems, we'd love to hear about them because we want this to be a truly collaborative process. We don't want it to just be a top-down solution like we've been fed for the last decade. I have lots of good ideas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you do. Yeah, you do. yeah. No, I'll, I'll reinforce that, Marcus. I completely agree. Um, it's gotta be a big, a big table with, with all the different user groups at it and form, form some stuff that works for everybody. The only way for that to happen is for people to um, communicate and, and to that end, I think, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be, I, I know I, there's a few ideas that have been thrown around. I don't think that we're 
not only have we not spent a lot of time on them, but we haven't heard from other groups yet on their ideas. And I think before we put anything on paper or out to the public, um, getting a list of those ideas and kind of going through them at that big round table is the key. Yeah. And that's going to look like myself and John and other folks traveling around the state holding listening sessions and talking to local rod and gun clubs and doing probably more zoom meetings than we would prefer to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of work, but we're excited for it because we just want to empower people to feel like they have a voice in their elk management, which, you know, everybody that I talk to right now feels like things are just being crammed down their throat and they don't have a say anymore. And we want to fix that. So if, if I was the, just go with me on this for a second, because this is how I think about things. If I'm the CEO of Montana Fish and Wildlife and Parks, okay, and I'm going to run this thing like a business, okay, and I am worried about profits because my profits are going to go back to my board members, my my high shareholders, which in, in my entity, it's the elk, it's the sheep, it's the moose, it's the, even the wolves, unfortunately, but even the wolves and the G-bears, like that's who I'm trying to create profit for because I'm going to give, put that money in their pockets and make sure that they're here. Like that's how I would run my business as my, as a CEO, I'm going to look at this and be like, okay, I'm not going to discredit the money that we need to invest in these landowners to get these block management programs so we can open up their land, compensate them and get everybody opportunity to help manage the wildlife. But I also am not going to turn my back on my DIY brethren and sistren because I feel like they spend lots of money in these communities and, and I can, I want them to have an opportunity on our resource, everyone's resource. But I'm wondering, and you guys should help me like figure this out. Is the FWP like whole when it comes financially? Like, do they squander money? Can they pay their bills? Can they pay their employees? Do they put their money back in? Do they have access? Do they have to rob from the general fund? Like, how are they doing their job right now? If I were to stay they're doing fine. They have a lot of money. They're doing good? Yeah, they have a lot of money. Yeah. And okay. they don't pull from the general fund. I think the they're entirely fund. funded by sportsmen and sportswomen. Correct. And yeah. um, so if you wanted to talk about who their constituents are, in addition, and by the way, I think it's very, uh, I don't want to use that word, it's very forward thinking of you, Dan, to think about their shareholders as being the wild things because they really are. Right. And the answer to your question is, as long as you let science be your guide, just like it has been for the last 120 years until we've gotten to the last 15 months for crying out loud, use the same principles that, you know, take yes for an answer, take the win. Don't try to figure out how to destroy what's been built. I just wanted to see if there was some sort of strain on budgets to where outside forces would have more um, influence on their decision making. Only in campaign coffers. Yeah. The legislature puts um, roadblocks up to FWP spending money. Oftentimes, so we have a program called Habitat Montana, which is designed to, um, through sportsman's, sportsman's dollars, fishing dollars, designed to put back into the state to, to create new access, to improve habitat, um, you know, that, that kind of bucket. And um, Marcus, you might have to remind me, I think there was a bill, not this session, but the session before that actually prevented them from spending that money. Yeah. Who knows why someone would introduce that bill, but like that's a, that's a direct program funded by the sportsman aimed at improving access onto public property and then our legislature prevented them from using it. 
So Dan, just to also to reinforce on that, right? The citizens in Montana passed recreational marijuana this year. Doesn't matter what your view is on recreational marijuana, doesn't matter. But literally part of the ballot initiative was that about 50% of the money taxes raised from that, from the sale of recreational marijuana go to fund conservation. The extremists in the legislature in Helena stripped that out and called it laughable literally quote laughable that conservationists and voters of Montana would expect the legislature to respect their vote. Garbage. And to put a, a, an emphasis on what Andrew just said, we're hearing all the time that we've got too many elk on private property. Well, why not create better wildlife habitat with Habitat Montana and give the elk someplace to go? But they're refusing. I've heard the, the saying that there'll be no net gain to public land. And so we're sitting on all this money that could be used to alleviate the problem with elk on private land and we're not using it because somebody doesn't like the idea of public land. And that's just, it's ridiculous. Talk about the uh, Big Snowy's WMA is a perfect mm -hmm. example of that. So there, was right. a, there were <clears throat> two landowners who were gonna sell their property to the state make it public land, which is through a wildlife management agency or wildlife management area, that money coming from that would come from Habitat Montana to buy it. It would provide access to, I don't know how many tens of thousands of acres in the big snowies, which is very difficult, limited public access right now. Also an enormous elk herd lives in there. Um, that deal was endorsed and approved by the previous commission. They were supposed to be going through it. One of those landowners pulled out and cited the delays from the department um, and sold his land to somebody else. So that piece is out. The other piece is still in it. So it was 14,000 acres. It's down to about 6,500 right now. Supposedly it's still moving through, but there is, I mean, we we're, I check on it. I have it actually in my calendar. Every four weeks, I call the department to ask what the update is. Hasn't, hasn't moved this year. And Montana has a lot of gold standard programs that exist and are fully funded. And so, you know, I appreciate that some people say, well, you know, we need to be looking at solutions. And I would submit to you that Montana has a huge number of solutions that are in force, in place, and ready to be used. The problem is, and they solve the stated problem, by the way, the yeah. reality is that the problem that they're complaining about is not the stated problem. The problem is, how can I get rich off a of public resource? And our solutions solve the problem, just not theirs. Yeah. <laughs> That's profound. Um, I do want to kind of end on that note, guys. Um, I want to each, give each of you a minute, 90 seconds, two minutes, whatever. This ain't radio. But whatever you need or want to say or promote or plug, because you, ha you have bent our ears. You have my attention. I'm hungry. I want to take action. I want elk hunting to be here for my son's son come at me. I'm going to start with you, Marcus. Yeah. Um, I'll say if you care about elk hunting in Montana, become a member of Montana BHA and the Montana Wildlife Federation. We're doing the work. We're in your local communities. We care about these issues. Uh, we're, we're DIY hunters just like you. And we also care about our, our private land neighbors. We want it all to work. So uh, for me, I'll say the best thing you can do is uh, join one of our organizations, both of our organizations, whatever you can afford, and stay tuned because we're going to be putting out a lot of information for how you can get involved. Awesome. John. 
Yeah, I'm just going to follow uh, with what Marcus said. Yeah, join uh, MWF or Montana BHA. Uh, both of our orgs are, uh, you know, we got people across the state working really hard to represent their local areas, understand those local problems, um, and are finding local solutions. It's driven by people who show up. So become a member, become active, get to know your local leadership. Uh, and there is a number of things that we can always find to uh, you know, give a job to someone who's passionate about elk hunting in Montana. There's a lot of things you can do if you're willing to get off the couch. Uh, at the same time, getting off the couch, go to the commission meetings. There's an agenda on FWP site, figure out when they're gonna meet next, pay attention to it, um, you know, reach out to guys like myself and Marcus if you have any questions about what's on that agenda. We can tell you the, the position of our organizations and why we think the way we do about certain issues. If you agree, um, then we've empowered you to become a citizen who can comment um, with a lot of confidence in those commission meetings. And th they, it truly does, <laughs> normally the citizen's voice is heard really well in Helena. The citizen's voice right now, they don't seem to be hearing us as much as they should, so we need to get a little louder. So get off the couch, show up. If you care about elk hunting in Montana, there's things you can do. Last but not least, Andy. Yeah, I would sort of leave with this thought. The history, all hunters are a part of a unique human story. One that has never been repeated to my knowledge, which is it was hunters who eradicated all the wild things off the Western landscape. And it is hunters themselves. The people who, the very people who exploited it have brought it back. They have brought it back under a set of principles that have led to an unbelievable outcome. It's a story that never gets told and doesn't, or if it gets told, it doesn't get told enough and it doesn't get told loud enough. That says, this was all brought back and it was all brought back by thoughtful, conscientious people of both political parties, of landowners working with hunters and everybody getting together. And what's happening now is people are looking at our success and trying to figure out how can they get richer from it and that we should resist any and every effort that people make to try to privatize the opportunity to hunt elk. People falsely hide around the idea that says, well, because I get a tag doesn't mean I get the elk. I agree with that. But if the tag isn't available for everyone equally, it violates that history, it violates this story, and it violates the principles of this country. Mic drop. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Folks listening, I'm going to have the most thorough show notes I've ever had in this episode right here. And I'm going to put it on these guys to each send me whatever links they want, whatever call to action, socials, all that stuff. And uh, with your guys's help, maybe share this podcast with a trusted ally, somebody maybe who needs to hear this message. And together we will stand united, not divided, and we will let our voice be heard. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one gentlemen again thank you for your time it's super appreciative by me and the listeners uh check the show notes on this one folks we're going to definitely list all the links so you can become better informed and make your own damn decision on these things we're talking about these guys are all salt of the earth and i appreciate their time and i meant what i said if you're a landowner out there and you want to come on the podcast maybe you didn't agree with what we talked about come on get on here 
let's interview you. Let's hear what you have to say. Uh, same with that cat that I called out who was on Newberg's podcast. I didn't remember your name, but uh, I know that you represented the Outfitters. And when I listened to you on Randy's podcast, I literally disagreed with everything that came out of your mouth. And if you want to come on and chit chat, let's do it. And when I say come at me, bro, I mean, hey, would you like an invitation to record a podcast? I'm not one of those guys that like if your opinion doesn't line up with mine, I don't I don't want to hear what you have to say. That's not me. If you voted for this person or that person, I want to know why and, and I'll hear you out and you can hear me out and we can have a discussion and be adults. We can have different opinions and still respect each other. And so I just wanted to make sure everyone understood that I, that's how I was raised and that's how I'm going to raise my kids is to respect other people's opinions, even if you don't agree with them. Uh, let's get through a couple of, you know, partnerships that make this podcast possible. That's on me. And I would say that if you want to check my show notes, all the discount codes are there. I have a couple of new ones too. So just check those out. But shout out to my team of partnerships, which is Wilderness Athlete, Vortex Optics, Crispy USA, Kufaru International, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Matthews Archery, Onyx, Numa Outdoors, Spy Point, and Buck Knives. Elk Shape Camp season is around the corner. We have a few spots left. We're only doing four camps this year. Wisconsin, Utah, Oregon, and Texas. I'm bringing my squad of subject matter experts and some new ones. Mark Livesey, Tree Line Pursuits. Every day he will be lecturing on how to do e-scouting. By the way, the camp is now three days instead of two. Joel Turner coming in, teaching his shot IQ, controlled shooting process, and elk calling. Speaking of elk calling, I am bringing in no other than Dirk the Bugler Durham. And I think we even have Jason Phelps booked for one of the camps as well. Then I'm going to be bringing in Jeff Bynum for financial coaching because I do believe it costs a lot of money to elk hunt, obviously. And if you're a regular DIYer, you need to understand how to budget, how to allocate funds, how to save money on gear, how to space things out so that your hunting is not a financial burden on your family. So we talk about that. I'm going to come in and teach the discipline, the delayed gratification, the nutrition, the performance nutrition, and I'm bringing Mrs. Elk Shape to a few camps this year as well. I am super stoked about that. We have a few other subject matter expert surprise guests like Jared Lyle, CEO of Hunting Fool to go over your hunting portfolio so that you can be applying for tags and making sure that you are setting yourself up for short, mid, and long-term plans to get good tags on public land. We're also going to be bringing in Iron Wheel Bill from Iron Wheel Outfitters, and he's going to discuss the science of broadheads, the science of arrows, FOC, how to fletch them, how to tune. We'll also be going over tuning ABT, always be tinkering, and everything that Elk Shape preaches. Sign up for an Elk Shape camp. Registration is at elkshape.com. You guys have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. We'll catch you on the next one.